Okay. Uh, we'll pass. Okay. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. All the best. Imran, I thought you were the line of law. What's this? Well, uh, this is what I've been telling Alan, that I want my team to play today like a cornered tiger, you know, when it's at its most dangerous. <laughs> this is how the world learned that Pakistan were the cornered tigers. The question was put to Imran Khan by Ian Chappell, who was asking him because he was wearing this cheap, white, what looks like a polyester t-shirt that happened to have a tiger on the front. This is just one of the things that made the 1992 World Cup, hosted by Australia and New Zealand, an incredible event. Even before the tournament started, the ICC paid for all the teams to stand on a warship for a promotional photo. It was also the first time the tournament was played with coloured clothing and with a white ball, the first with day-night games as well, and the first in the Southern Hemisphere. Oh, and also the first to have South Africa. South Africa officially back at international level after all these years, and this game against Australia to be played in just about perfect conditions. There's been a lot of rain in Sydney, but Tony Gregg reported that the pitch and the outfield were in excellent nick out there. And for a moment, South Africa thought they had got the perfect start to a tournament. Oh, and it's has got him first ball. Yes, he's got to be out. Huge appeal. My goodness, that looked as if there was a reflection there that South Africans cannot believe it. The umpire down at that end is umpire Brian Aldridge from New Zealand. Given that first one not out, well, what a beginning that would have been. But soon enough, they did get real wickets, starting with an awful mix-up between Jeff Marsh and David Boone. Boone's coming. There's a chance if they hit. Umpire Bucknor in good position. And uh, David Boone didn't even bother to look around. When South Africa left cricket, they had a reputation, along with Australia, as being one of the best fielding sites. And when they came back, they brought with them Jogti Rhodes. Even before the tournament, people were talking about his fielding. Australia and the West Indies had had great fielders before, but Jonty seemed like something completely different. Of course, the easiest way of explaining this to you is when Jonty Rhodes ran out in Zimam al-Haq. Umpire not interested in Zimam, could be run out, and Jonty Rhodes has demolished the stumps, and umpire Bucknor has given him out. The flying leap with Pike. Well, it was going to require some brilliant fielding or some brilliant work in the field and a better man you could not find than Jonty Rhodes. Inzamam was hit on the pad. He was looking for the single and lumbered down the wicket. Imran was never interested. Jonty Rhodes knew there was a chance, decided not to throw other than himself. He gets there first and wipes everything out. It's now known as the Superman run-out. It showed that this team had something quite special. But they also had experience. Even players from previous World Cups, the chase against Australia would be anchored by Kepler Vessels, who you may remember from earlier in the series because he played for Australia in 1983 in the match where they lost to Zimbabwe. Now he was scoring 81 runs from 148 balls to suffocate his old team. So 11 runs to win now, and I'm going to hand over to Bellori, who's uh, just a little surly. Thank you, Tony Gregg. It's Bruce Reed to Kipler Vessels. He gets over a point that's going to go all the way, is it? And there comes Whitney. He doesn't get there, so it's four more. You can just imagine at the Wanderers Club in South Africa, they'll be going down there for lunch and the corks will be coming out of the champagne bottles. It's been a magnificent effort by South Africa here in the World Cup match at the Sydney Cricket Ground. South Africa had been waiting 20 years to make their return, and there had been much said about them and their ban from cricket. And here they were, in bright green, a format of cricket that didn't even exist the last time they were playing the game. 
It was a celebration of them being welcomed back to cricket. And who better to be than the last team they played, the World Cup champions and the main host of this tournament. Even better for the South Africans, after two matches, Australia had not won a game. South Africa had all but doomed the hosts after one match in 22 years. And there it is. Victory by nine wickets to South Africa in this World Cup match at the Sydney Cricket Ground. A magnificent performance by the South Africans. Welcome to Double Century, the podcast about the history of cricket. This season, we are celebrating the World Cup. We'll have an episode on all the older tournaments. This week, we are doing part one of 1992, which will focus on the two Southern African teams. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. South Africa were not the only team from Africa having a big tournament. Zimbabwe were just starting to form a top-quality team. Their World Cup started so well. They made 300 against the Sri Lankans, and they took regular wickets until eventually Sri Lanka got home with three balls and three wickets in hand. Zimbabwe also put up a decent fight against Pakistan until they ran into Wazir Makram. Brian Lara knocked the ball around for a while for the West Indies, and there was no way Zimbabwe were going to put a proper dent in that chase. The match against New Zealand was... A mess. A terrible rain system that existed pre-DLS meant that they had to chase 154 in 18 overs. The same kind of thing also happened in the India game. Of course, Sachin Tendulkar was also around. But they were, according to the runs loss system at the time, 50 behind where they needed to be when the final rain came. South Africa toyed with them like food, including another incredible anchor innings from Kepler Vessels. This all meant that coming into the last game, the Zimbabweans were actually now struggling. So having England, one of the best teams in that tournament to play, and then only making 134 meant that they would probably go home without a win. At lunch, former England player Jeffrey Boycott went up to their captain, and now coach, Dave Houghton, to tell him how amateur Zimbabwe were. Not that Houghton needed to be told that, he was furious as well. And it would seem, so was the most famous chicken farmer in cricket history. Edo Brandes was a big, barrel-chested fast bowler who was very well known for his sledging, build, and his lack of fitness. And he went out and took four wickets early on that left England at 43 for five. That was the first ball. Edo Brandes bowling for Graham Gooch, the captain. LBW, North England, North for one, the very first ball of their innings. What a terrific start for Zimbabwe. But the last one is the most interesting because the batter was Graham Hick. He was playing for England because as a young Zimbabwean, when he came through, there was no way he could actually play test cricket for his own nation. 
And not only was Hicks Zimbabwean, but he was also a close personal friend of Edo Brandes. Well, now here we come to the age-old question, what are we going to do with Graham Hick? This was uh, him out for naught. England 5 for 43 now, and Brandes is a complete hero, he's knocked over 4. England actually fought back a little bit, and they needed 11 runs with two wickets in hand, and they were close when Richard Illingworth was run out. And in the final over, Gladstone Small flicked one to short mid wicket, and Zimbabwe had won perhaps the most important match in their history. 124 for nine, and this was Gladstone Small, and Zimbabwe have had their Waterloo, and Christmas is rolled into one, because Gladstone has gone, caught Pycroft Jarvis for five. That was the game that got Zimbabwe test match status. It was the one that really changed their cricket's future. For England, it was embarrassing. But not for the normal reasons that England get embarrassed in World Cups, but because this side was actually really good. They had made it all the way through to the semifinals despite that loss. And at this stage, all the previous winners had been knocked out. So one thing we knew for sure, from the semifinals, a new champion would be crowned. They were playing South Africa, and there was rain around at the toss, which South African captain Kepler Wessels won and then said, if it rains and we are bowling, it is not too bad. The problem comes if you are batting tonight and it rains. But that is a risk we are prepared to take. Keep that in your mind for later. Now, you should know that Kerry Packers Channel 9, which had basically invented this format of one-day cricket, certainly with the coloured clothings and the white balls, were a very powerful part of cricket. And as such, they controlled the tournament in a way. They didn't allow any flexibility in cases of delays. So you got to bat for only as many overs that were bowled in the three and a half hours of allocated time per innings. There would be no readjustment to make up for denying the batting side their slog overs. In other words, if you didn't mind a financial penalty, you could slow the game down tactically to cancel out the disadvantage of changing under the unfair rain rule. The South Africans bowled 45 overs, and they were all fined 20% of their match fee. They intentionally slowed down the match because England were timing their innings for 50 overs, knowing that when they batted, the South Africans would know it was only going to be 45 overs. That part of the story is not told as much these days. Anyway, South Africa were out there batting, and the rain was coming. And it's hard to know how DLS would have affected things because it wasn't used at that time, but I'll try and explain it as best I can. Crickinfo Sid Monga did a great deep dive into this a few years ago. Let's assume that it was a rain break, or two actually, that meant that England's innings finished after 45 overs. The DLS readjusts South Africa's target then to 272 and without some of the fielding restrictions. What actually happened was that South Africa got to chase 252 with 15 full power play overs. That was quite a win for them. Now, of course, during South Africa's chase, if DLS existed, they would have had revised targets and they would have batted more accordingly. But they definitely would have been chasing more runs. As it happened, they got away with having to chase 252 with 15 overs of the power play. And yes, a further DLS simulation would have been fun, but unfair, because South Africa would have planned their innings accordingly and would have tried to be more than 231 for six when the rain finally arrived in the 43rd over. But here is another truth that, again, is not mentioned as much as it should be. South Africa were massively behind this game during their chase. They needed 122 in less than 19 overs. When they lost a fifth wicket, they needed 77 in less than nine. When Rhodes' 38-ball 43 came to an end, South Africa needed 47 from 31. Brian McMillan and Dave Richardson scored 24 runs from 18 balls to make it 22 from 13. But even then, 
they were certainly behind the eight ball. And with one more wicket, the tail would start to come in. When the rain came, up on the big screen, it actually said that 22 runs were needed from seven balls. That was wrong twice. Said that the, uh, the umpires have come back to him and they've changed it to say that there is only one ball remaining. Although the official announcement was made uh, just a moment ago that there are seven balls remaining. So uh, everyone seems to be a bit confused at the moment. This was a huge part of why there was an outrage as was the fact that the TV companies had changed the end time of this match, rather than just playing the 13 balls out like pretty much everyone who was trying to watch this game wanted. But beamed around the world was the SCG scoreboard saying South Africa needed 22 runs from one ball. But remember before I said there were two mistakes? It was actually 21 runs from one ball. Almost nothing about the end of this game was right. And so you can see why people were upset. South Africa were an incredible story in that World Cup and they had played wonderful cricket and now they weren't getting a chance to pull off a tough win. Plus, it was stupid to bring out anyone for just one ball. What was everyone thinking? They go down a very controversial final few minutes. There's Gooch, disappointing end really to a great match. Well, yes, but England have just had the edge through most of the match. I'll tell you one thing, that valuable contribution of Dermot Reeve at the end of England innings will be seen in its true worth now. You could actually hear on the broadcast the moment the fans, and remember, these are largely Australian fans, realised that South Africa had been brought out for one ball and that obviously they will not hit 22 or even 21 runs from that single delivery. Even if South Africa made a mistake at the toss and played a fairly dodgy game in the middle, it was a heartbreaking thing to watch the behemoth that is Brian McMillan push the last ball out on the leg side for a run that did not matter. Despite the fact they played a large part in their own demise, they had been a quality team all the way through this tournament. And to end it like this, it just didn't feel right. And the scoreboard finally confirming what we've thought to be true for some time now. So that's going to need 22 runs off this one ball. Somehow, I don't think that's possible. Now, it's a disappointing end to a great semi-final, but that's the rules. The umpires can only abide by the wars for the World Cup. Disappointed Mike Proctor and Peter Kirsten. But that's the way the cookie crumbles, as they say, and the England supporters will be delighted. But the disappointing end to a wonderful semi-final. In comes Chris Lewis to buy the final delivery. It's pushed away to mid-wicket. You can see that all the players are disappointed with that end. The crowd will roar here at the semi-cricket ground. So at the end, it's England and a disappointing finish to a wonderful match. Disappointed Brian McMillan kept the vessels, the manager Ray Jordan there. The South Africans have played very well at the end. The weather beat them and a very good defending performance also by England with the ball. Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version that you can get via Patreon. And there are many other extras involved with being a member over there. In fact, this show would not exist if Patreon members had not helped us at the beginning and continue to support us. Cricket history does not pay, so any help you can give will be massive. And you'll find a link in the show notes to subscribe. Remember to please review, follow, tell your friends and family, and just people that you meet in parties about our show. All of that helps us grow. Double Century episodes are written by either Abhishek Mukherjee or myself, sometimes both of us. And I am Jared Kimber, and this is part of my podcast network. The podcasts are overseen by Nick McCorriston, who also edits and produces Double Century. And C.S. Chawanza is our man for social media clips. If you like the Double Century podcast, on top of subscribing and supporting us, there's actually way more content like this on the Jared Kimber YouTube page. 